0: If you are in second grade or below, I would invite you to head to Children's Church. I bet most of them have already head out the door. I think by the time I say it these days, they're already long gone. For the rest of you, turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 5. I know you're probably thinking, how much longer can I drag out this last chapter of James? And the answer is this week and next week. And so when we get into the month of March, uh, we will see a change in uh, in, in our sermon series and i'm looking forward to that uh but today we are in james chapter 5 and we're going to be reading verses 13 through verse 18 and i thank you as you stand in honor of the reading of god's word and the word of god says this is anyone among you suffering then he must pray is anyone cheerful he is to sing praises is anyone among you sick Then he must call for the elders of the church that they may pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months and then he prayed again and the sky poured or excuse me the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit please be seated You've heard quite a bit today already about the revival things that seem to be breaking out all over Kentucky, the, the, the news of the revival services that have been going on for a week and a half, um, and Asbury have, have finally hit national news, and, and it is really all over the place, and it's just hard not to talk about it as we talk about the things that God is doing. Now, as Joe mentioned just a little bit ago, how how neat it is where he plans a a song and plans it days, weeks, maybe months in, in advance. And then when the day arrives that it gets here, that it relates to the things going on. Well, I don't think it's a surprise that as we have continued on in our series in the book of James, that in a time like this, that we suddenly find ourselves in a passage of Scripture that deals directly with the idea of prayer. I can tell you with great confidence that when this calendar was made and, and the sermons were, were put out and Joe and Karen and, and many others get my what I'm going to be preaching for from the month to month, that when that email went out, nothing was happening at Asbury or anywhere else. And yet today, when it comes time to look at this passage on prayer and the need for prayer, we see revival all over our area and people committing themselves to prayer because of this revival. You may be asking, what does a passage on prayer have to do with revival at Asbury and Campbellsville and beyond? And the answer is that revival and prayer have always been intimately tied together. In fact, almost every revival, every great awakening, every movement of God that we can look Throughout history and and study, we see that in the midst of that is a renewed interest in prayer and confession. Leonard Ravenhill, who is a religious author and theologian, wrote the book, Why Revival Tarries? And in that book, he is quoted as saying these words. He says, The man who can get believers to praying Would under God usher in the greatest revival that the world has ever known? And I want you to think about that for just a moment. We talk a lot about revival. But do we really want revival? Do we want it in our hearts? Do we want it in our church? Do we want it in our community and in our nation? And if the answer that you are saying, which I hear you, if the answer is yes, then we must be about the work of prayer. And we must heed the words of James in this passage. let's think about what he is saying today. The the first thing that I think James is really kind of bringing to light and communicating to us even today is that we must pray in all situations. Notice again verse 13 how it begins. He says, is is any of you suffering? Then he must pray. For some of us, we look at that and for some of us in the room, we're immediately like, yes, I am suffering. And you may not and I don't know what you're going through and all of us kind of deal with things in in different ways. But but undoubtedly you are probably there are people in this room that are going through a hard time and going through hard things. It may be a physical ailment. You may be just struggling with something going on in, in your life or with your family. You may be struggling spiritually where you you just feel that pull and that tug of God on your life and, and you have no idea what's going on, but you just feel like you are in anguish. And James is not giving us any sort of specifics here on what he means by suffering. He just says, if you are suffering, pray. And for some of us in the room, that's like, well, no, duh. And, and, and we have prayer warriors and we have people in, in this room, I have no doubt that that is their reaction to when hard times come. And that's a good thing, by the way. That you just know when I'm struggling, when I'm suffering, that I need to, I need to go to the Lord in prayer. I need to take that to the Lord. And, and you do that. And praise God, we need you to teach us how to do that. Because I can also tell you that not everybody in the room is that way. In fact, if I was honest, and that's why I say you need to teach us, when I start going through a hard time, my first reaction is not always to pray. My first reaction is usually to grind it out. Because I want to be bigger and better and stronger and tougher and more manly than any, any trial or any struggle or anything that I go through. And you're probably thinking, good Lord, this guy's our pastor. But I I want to do that and I I want to be mentally harder. I want to work harder, sleep less, be tougher and stronger so that I can get through it. And my initial reaction every time is I can get through it on my own. But I've learned something over the years. And it's probably taken me 20, 30, 40 years to figure it out is that when, that when that is my reaction, when my thought is I'm going to be tougher, I'm going to be stronger, I'm going to be bigger, and I'm going to be badder, then that's when the enemy goes, <laughs> got him. Because the enemy has no problem piloting it on, piling it on me. And he can push, and he can pull, and he can stretch, and he can frustrate, and he can get me to my knees. But there's a good thing about when the enemy finally gets me to my knees. It's usually that's when I finally cry out to God. And that's when I finally look to him and and the moment, it seems like the, the moment where I finally cry out to God, when I finally go, all right, I give up. I can't do this. This is too much. This is is too great. I'm not strong enough to do this. I can't do this. Lord, I need you to step into my life. It is in that moment that the Lord steps in and I begin to see that relief. Does that mean God always solves my problems for me? Not necessarily. But he's there. And he's with me. And I feel his presence and I sense what he's doing. And it's in that moment that I get reminded that God is still sovereign over all things. And even if the enemy thinks he is piling it on, God is only allowing that for the moment to draw me to him. David talked about this in 2 Samuel 22. After all that Daniel, or excuse me, not Daniel, David, all that David had gone through, he says these words. He says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. Yes, I cried to my God, and from his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry for help came to his ears. That's 2 Samuel 22, 7. You know, sometimes when we are suffering we feel like God is a million miles away. And yet what we see from this passage is that the God of heaven and earth hears our prayers. That it doesn't matter where we are, That it doesn't matter how far we might feel that we are from God or or how far he might seem from us. When we cry out to the Lord and, and David is in his distress, that's where he's at. He says, I am in my distress. And where is God? God is in heaven on the throne. But still, when David cried out to the Lord, the Lord heard him. And you can read in the context, not only did did the Lord hear him, but he delivered him. And so when we hear a command as simple as, is there anyone suffering? Pray. Behind all of that is the reality that if you are going through it, if you are suffering physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, when you cry out to the Lord, when you pray, he will hear. And he will act. But the passage goes on. It goes on to say, are any of you cheerful? Then he is to sing praises. And see, that's often the the, the contrast here. And you know, uh, someone like me, I tend to, when I'm struggling, when I'm suffering, when I'm going through it, I tend to want to buckle down and count on myself. Other people are not that way. But on the flip side, sometimes when things are going great we're called to praise the Lord. And, and some of us are probably pretty good about that. Some of us are probably, man, when God finally does his thing and he shows up or we have a, a great day and we can feel God's presence and the sun is shining and God is moving, we've had, I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, there was one time I was over at Clarity and I'd had a mentoring uh, session over there and I'd talk with a guy and I was nervous going into it because I had no idea what kind of conversation I was going to have with this guy. And we had a great conversation. And we got to talk and we talked about life and, and, and I got to talk about Jesus and, and bring that in the conversation. And, and when it was all said and done, we were smiling, we prayed together and, and he left and I left and I got in my car and the sun was shining and it was warm in my car and life was good. And I could just go, thank you, God, because I know you were in the midst of all that. I'm, I'm OK with that. I tend to be pretty good about praising God when things are good. I'm just not so good when things are not so good. But I know not everybody's that way. See, some of us, when things are good, we start to go, hey, hey, I think I got this all figured out. I'm making money. I'm doing good. My kids have been less crazy this week than normal. My wife is not mad at me. And I must, I must have this whole thing figured out. I, am, I am doing good. And we forget to give God the glory. And sometimes when things are going good in our life, we get a little too comfortable about how we're doing. And then that's like, oh, yeah, we could go to church on Sunday, but man, it's a nice day. I feel good. You know what? Instead, why don't we go to brunch? Let's go to that new restaurant down the road. Or man, you know what we haven't done in a while? It's going to be a nice weekend. Let's get on the lake and let's go, let's go, uh, go hit the water and drown some worms, and, and let's have a good time. And we find ourselves, and this is this is just the difference of people. When things are going good, we kind of forget the Lord. I think even in the Proverbs we hear we hear it say, "Lord, give me give me my daily bread." So that I don't have, if I don't have too little and steal and sin against you, but also that I don't have too much and start to ask who is the Lord. See, sometimes when things are going too good, we kind of forget about the Lord. And we kind of go off and do our own thing. But to this, James says, is anyone joyful? Is, anyone, is things going well for anyone? Sing praises. There's an idea here about giving God the glory. We pray, we sing, we give God the glory, we give Him all the attention. Yes, I think you should sing. Sing, I don't care if you can't sing. Whistle. sing, praise God, take them to them, even in prayer, however it is, but I challenge you today that as God does good things in your life, you ought to be singing and praising God for all that he is doing. I think we should be doing that about what we're hearing out of all these places and the reports from, from, from Asbury and Campbellsville. I think we should be praising God when we start to hear about the, the fruit that's going to come from, from Chrysalis or from D now. In fact, Psalm 147 verse one says this, "Praise the Lord, for He is good for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is becoming." See, Paul, again, we have James giving us this what seemingly simple instruction, but behind all of that is the recognition that every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the of, Father of lights. You know who said that? James, just a few chapters ago. And when God is doing good things in our lives, we ought to go to the Lord. Finally, we see under this pray all sorts of prayers, we see that that we are called to pray when we are sick. And this is kind of a specific one under that heading of if you are suffering. And what's interesting about this one is not only does he call us to pray, but he calls us to bring other people into the prayer. Specifically, he he talks of the elders. These are the, the pastoral type people in your life. He calls them to pray over them and to anoint them with oil. And let me tell you something, there is nothing special about that oil. The word means olive oil. But what it does do is it means that when we do this, that we are taking our prayers up another level. That we are bringing other people into the prayer and that we are calling them into our own so that we recognize that that we as a collective body have been called to pray over this individual and over this thing. This is why we do all of that. Now certainly this passage does not mean that only elders can, elders or pastors can pray over the sick, but it does recognize that it is something that we are called to do. I think the biggest challenge here is just that we don't keep our private life so private that people can't pray for us. I can tell you as a pastor, and I don't think this is anybody's fault in the room, but man, I hate it when I find out that someone got out of the hospital that I never knew was in the hospital. That's tough. And I know that, and and, and let me tell you something, I am the worst one in the room. I could be sick as a dog, and y'all probably wouldn't know unless I have to miss something. I am terrible about it. In fact, Philip, I cannot tell you how many times over the years, Philip is one of my deacons, has got on to me because I keep stuff to myself. I am horrible about it. And yet what we see from this passage is when we are, in this case, sick, when we are going through it, we are called to bring other people into that prayer and to encourage one another and pray for each other. See, the main point of all of these first few verses is just to tell us that in every situation, in every condition, in every circumstance, we are to be praying. When things are good, let us pray and worship God. When things are bad, let us seek the Lord and and His, and His wisdom and understanding. When we are sick, let us pray for healing. When we are healthy, let us give glory to God and call Him to use us according to His will. In everything, we must pray. Philippians 4.6 says it this way, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be known to God. I think this brings us to the next thing that, that, that James is really communicating, and really he's already communicated in our previous one, and it's this idea that we need to be praying for each other. We need to be praying for not only all of us in this room, but we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and beyond. James says that we are, that if they are sick, that we are to, to, to send the elders to, to let people know so that they might pray over us and anoint us with oil. But then James goes on to instruct the church to confess their sins one to another. You want to know, when all of this revival stuff went on, when all of it went on, my first reaction is always, Okay, let's see. And it's not that I'm I'm a a cynical dude. I might be a little bit of a cynical dude. Maybe a little bit. But I wanted to hear what was happening. All I knew when I got that first report, Revivals broke out at Asbury, was like, okay, kids are singing. That's great. But what's going on? So I start reading. And I start watching. Because I'm curious. I want to know. And I'm not really doing it to judge. Maybe a little bit but not intentionally. But then I started hearing the reports of how it got started and how it was a normal service. It wasn't like they brought in some heavy hitting revival preacher to really whip them up. There wasn't really all that much out of the ordinary. You know what changed it all? Some kids stayed after a little bit late after service and they were singing a little bit more. And finally, some guy who I don't know his name, they haven't even brought it up, just got up. And he started to confess his sins. He started to talk about how he was not living for the Lord and how he needed to really surrender his life to God fully. And he began to start confessing his sins. And then that led to another person, another person, then more songs, and then more confession. And that is what brings about revival anywhere. When we start to see the people of God confessing their sins, surrendering themselves to the Lord, and allowing God to work in their lives to bring about transformation, that is when revival happens. And that is exactly what James is telling us to do. we got to be open about that stuff. we got to be honest about that stuff. I love it when I'm in my Sunday school class. And if you don't have a Sunday school class, get to Sunday school. You want to see transformation and revival and community and good things happen in your life? Start there. And suddenly someone will say, this is what I'm struggling. This is what I'm dealing with. And we get an opportunity to know that and and, and share that and and pray over that. I remember one time, it's been years now, a couple years ago, in the midst of COVID. We couldn't meet in the building, so we would meet outside sometimes. And we had a young adult group and to get out of the COVID thing, the young adult group would has set up a fire pit out in front of the youth room and everybody would bring their bag chairs or take chairs from inside and we would sit around that fire and we would do a Bible study. And let me tell you, it's hard to lead a Bible study by that one streetlight out there. And one day we were talking and we were, were getting into Scripture and all that. And then one kid started to say, you know, I, this is something I really struggle with. And, and they begin to talk about anxiety and how they really suffered with anxiety. Do you remember this? Dennis was with me. And we got to talking about anxiety, and one kid said, this is something I struggle with, and I know that the Bible tells me to trust in the Lord, but, man, I, man, I struggle with this, and I've had some, some real anxious moments and real, some panic attacks, and I, I've been dealing with that kind of stuff. And the moment that person stopped talking, the next one said, I know exactly what you're talking about. And they started to share, and then the next person, and I did not have to talk, me. I did not have to talk for two hours. As these people were, as these young people... <laughs> I thought you were excited about them talking, but now I get it. Yeah, Uh, I thought, yeah, I'm going to get you back for that. Um, For two hours, these kids were talking about their lives and their struggles and their their struggles to to trust in the Lord. And, And when that night ended, and it ended way too late. We were were praying and we were just lifting those things up to God and asking God to move in the lives of all of those young people. And and I got text messages and phone calls the next day saying just how powerful that night was. Confess your sins one to another. For this is what God has called us to do. See, when we begin to do these things, we begin to see how God can transform our hearts. And when we allow those things to get out in the open, we can see how God can bring about real transformation. You've already heard it said this morning through song, but in 2 Corinthians seven fourteen it says, and if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. See, revival begins when, people, when the people of God begin to pray together, confessing their sins one to another, lifting up the church and everyone else that they might experience God and be different because of it. Paul, writing to Timothy, said these words. He said, first of all, then, I urge you that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. And he goes on to say that this, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath or dissension. So we are called, there is no question, to pray and to pray for each other. James, or excuse me, Paul, believe it or not, in this letter to Timothy, he is talking specifically about men. And he says, I want men to be praying. And men, we gather at 6 a.m. on Tuesday mornings at Bub's Cafe. Pray with us. He goes on to talk about women. Women, y'all meet at 6.30 on Thursdays. Right here in the fellowship hall. Pray with us. Finally, we see from this passage that we are called to pray in faith, expecting God to move. Notice that there is all kinds of expectation in this passage. Looking, you know, even specifically as we kind of get into all this, like verse 15, he says, and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if anyone has committed sins, they will be forgiven. See, James is expecting when prayers go up, that healing comes down. When prayers go up, that forgiveness comes down. When prayer goes up, then God comes down. And so we have to ask the question James believed this. James believed that when prayers went up, things came down. Do we? Do we really believe that our prayers matter? I, 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 I've had it burned into my head having a conversation with a young man once, and, and, and I won't get too much into this guy's theology, but he looked me dead in the eyes and he said, Does prayer really matter at all? He was kind of saying if God's going to do what God's going to do, does prayer even matter? Do we really need to pray? Or can we just do what it does? Do what we think is the right thing and, and, and it's going to be God's will regardless. I don't think you can look at James chapter 5 and really say, the, answer the question, do we really need to pray with a no? Now I understand that God does not always answer our prayers in the way that we want him to answer our prayers. And I know that our prayers must be in accordance with God's will and that we need to trust God's character and nature that he is doing his very best for us, even if we may not think it is our very best. But we have to ask ourselves the question, do we expect God to do something with our prayers? And I think most of us if we were really honest, would have to confess that the answer is sometimes. But the scriptures say the answer is yes and amen. That God moves when we pray. And James, James talks about this and then he goes on to give us the example. And he gives us the example of Elijah. Now you heard me at the beginning mention a, this Leonard Ravenhill who, who wrote about revival and he talked about Elijah too and I loved what he said. And so I want you to think about Elijah in these contexts. He said, therefore, the blessed and Holy Spirit could write the life of Elijah in two words. He prayed. No man can do more than that for God or for man what a powerful testimony to your life if on your headstone it said here lies so and so he or she prayed elijah spoke to god through uh, when the the drought came in, in 1 kings chapter 18 and then when when the drought was to come to an end we read these words from 1 kings 18 It says this, it says, So Ahab, who was the king, that he went up to eat and drink. But Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel, and he crouched down to the earth, and he put his face between his knees. He said to his servant, Go up now and look towards the sea. And so he went up, and he looked, and he said, There's nothing. And he said, Go back. And he did this seven times. And it came about at the seventh time that he said, Behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said, Go up and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariots and go down so that the heavy shower does not stop you. In a little while, the sky grew black and clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. When all was said and done, Elijah did not stop praying until the clouds were coming. He knew that God would hear his prayer and would answer him. There's a movie you've probably seen or at the very least you've heard about. It's called Facing the Giants. And there's a scene in the movie where this gentleman is, is walking through the halls of the school where this football coach works and he's praying over over the lockers and i think the football coach finally goes up to him one day and he says is this even work like have you seen any fruit or any benefit of you praying these hallways at at that time and and the 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 pastor whoever the man was that was praying um he finally looked at him and he he talked about it and he said you know you got to have faith and he said you know i heard the story once of a whole town or two excuse me let me say it say it again i heard the story once of two farmers And both prayed for rain. But only one of them prepared his fields. Which one had faith? What about us today? The question I asked you at the beginning of all of this was, do you really want revival? Do you want it in your life? Do you want it? in this church do you want it in our community and in our nation well i think this passage is telling us how we prepare the fields and it's it's not hard it's not special services it's not not a lot of hoopla it's not fancy music it's not even good preaching praise the lord if we want to prepare the fields for revival and we need to start praying. And that's my challenge to you today. Will you pray? Will you pray as a group? Will you pray individually? Will you trust in the Lord and put your faith in Him that He will accomplish His perfect work? And I call on you today to pray, to put your trust in Jesus and to let him work in your life. Now, for some of you, I have no doubt that that might very well mean surrendering your life to Jesus for the first time, that you're looking at what this is saying and you're thinking about what's happening in the world around us. And you're thinking, I don't maybe get it all, but I definitely want to be a part of it. And I want to ask you today, are you ready to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? See, we here at Tunnel Hill Baptist Church, we believe that, 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 God, that there is a God in heaven. Hopefully that's been obvious by today. And that he, he created all things and He made you with a purpose and me with a purpose. But we have sinned against God. We have done our own thing. We have gone our own way. And we find ourselves in a place of brokenness. And we can try a lot of things to fix our brokenness, but we can't because you can't fix brokenness from brokenness. And so we believe that Jesus Christ came and that He is the Son of God and He lived a perfect life and He died on the cross for our sins so that we could have His righteousness and that He would pay the penalty for our sins. And He did that willingly. And He died on the cross for our sins and He rose from the grave three days later. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. And you know, salvation is tied up with prayer just like revival is. Because if you would love to be forgiven of your sins and saved from the penalty of your sins, then you need to believe. And what we usually say is then you need to take that to the Lord in prayer and say, I am surrendering myself to Jesus Christ. That I am making him the Lord of my life. That I believe in everything that, that he is and he said and he did. I believe what the word of God says. And I want to make him the Lord of my life. And if that's you today, then as we close out our service this morning, then we want to have a conversation with you about that. And we want to help you pray to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now we're going to come up and we're going to sing one more song. And as we sing that song, we want you to sing, but more than that, I think I want you to pray. And if you want to come to the steps and pray, you're welcome to. If you want to sit in your chair and pray, you're welcome to. But I want you to pray. And I want you to pray that God would bring revival wherever it is that you think it needs to start. Does it start with you? Does it start with salvation? Does it start with your family? our church, or your job. Wherever you think it needs to start, I want you to start praying earnestly for it now. And then watch and see what God will do. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we stand in awe of your power and your goodness. Lord, as we look at a passage like this one today, God, we, we see the call to pray. And, and, and I know that it's tempting for us to go, yeah, 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 I need to pray. But God, you desire a conversation with us. And God, you are moving even as we speak around us, maybe as, as close as just a couple miles away, maybe as close as just a couple inches away. And God, you are doing a great thing. And Lord, I pray that you would put a burden on our hearts to pray to pray for our lives, to pray for our families, to pray for our our church and our community and our our, our colleges and our county and and our our nation. And God, that your spirit would move in, in ways like we have never seen before. That you would shatter the box of our expectations and that you would do a mighty work. Lord, I know that for some of us in that room, that mighty work has to start in our own hearts. That we recognize that we are dead in our sin and that we are far from you and we need your spirit to break through those strongholds, that we need to confess Jesus as Lord and that you need to fill us with your spirit first. And Father God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that needs to surrender their life to Jesus today, Lord, that today would be that day. That they would not let the sun go down without crying out to Jesus. And whether that be with me or someone else in this room that they trust or or someone else completely different, Lord, I pray that not a single soul in this room goes to sleep tonight without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would have your way. That your will be done and that your kingdom come as on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we ask these things in the precious name of Christ Jesus. Amen.